Welcome, everybody, to the Always So Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to share another amazing episode with you today. Well, I am really excited to share this episode with you today because Father Walter Chiswick's teachings on suffering and God's providence are the true spiritual underpinnings and backbone of the show. If you want to know what I'm trying to accomplish with Always Hope, then get to know Father Walter Chiswick. If there is a patron of the show, well, it is him. His story is unique. He is an American Jesuit priest during the time when the Soviets invade Poland. He in turn chooses to clandestinely enter into the USSR to minister to the Catholics there, only to get discovered by the Soviets and is accused of being a Vatican spy. He then spends five years in solitary confinement, during which he is interrogated and forced to confess that he is in fact a spy. Well, if that isn't enough, he is then sentenced to hard labor in the Northern Siberian work camps for his quote-unquote crimes. In all, Father Walter Chiswick spends over 23 years in prison under false pretense, but sees it all as the will of God in his life. Truly amazing docility. Joining me on the show today is John Dijak, co-editor of With God in America, The Spiritual Legacy of an Unlikely Jesuit. Together with Mark Lindire, they sifted through a massive number of letters, lectures, interviews, and other writings from Father Walter and about him following his return to the U.S. and compiled a selection of those writings into a single great volume. In today's episode, we discuss the spiritual lessons of this humble and tough Jesuit from Pennsylvania. If you have never heard of Father Walter Chiswick, this episode is a great introduction into his life and message. If you are a fan of his, you will love this episode too. We've got something for everybody who is trying to make sense of the suffering in their life. After the show is done, please subscribe, leave a rating or a comment. I can't tell you how much it means to me to read those reviews. It is very, very encouraging. So thank you for listening and engaging with these conversations. And let's get into this episode about Father Walter Chiswick. Well, John Dijak, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing very well, Mario. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, I, I'm super excited about this interview and uh, for your willingness to engage in this conversation. Um, so just to kind of start off as we walk through this, tell us a little bit about who Father Walter Chiswick is and why is this story important for us today? Sure, sure. Uh, Father Walter Chiswick, a tough Polish kid from Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, son of a coal miner, uh, one of 13, born in 1904. Um, was a bit of a rapscallion, to say the least, uh, when he was a kid, you know, and I suppose being one of 13 kids, you got to make your mark somehow. <laughs> I guess so, so. um, so, <laughs> but, um, yeah, grew up, you know, blue collar kid in a blue collar area, you know, coal was king in those days in that area of Pennsylvania. And, um, it was also in the third wave really of flux of, Polish immigration to the United States. So a lot of them settled in that area, in that uh, part of the Midwest, Northeast Midwest, um, uh, to where, where there, there were jobs. So grew up there, um, and didn't have the most stellar of reputations as a kid. Mm. In fact, he was, uh, uh, such, such a, such a, you know, spirited young lad that his father actually brought him to the police station one time and said, lock him up. <laughs> so, um, so at the age of 13, when he said he wanted to become a priest, 
No one believed him. See, this is not <laughs> priests are holy. You are anything but. But mm-hmm. he was very much a uh, a guy who was driven. And uh, even though he, as a youth, picked fights, he would always repair at the end of the night to say uh, behind the, this little – he had there was a bureau in the house. And he would repair behind that bureau and he would say an act of contrition. Mm. So he always had this kind of deep spirituality, this prayer life. You know, he knew – uh, that he was doing something wrong. And, and so this is, what is this tension? But he always wanted to, to do a tough thing, to be the tough guy, uh, even though he's a scrawny 90 or 90 pound year old, you know, 90 pound, uh, but he decides to become a priest. He, he ends up, um, uh, kind of getting his act together, but still being very stubborn and, uh, wanting to be the best. And he goes to Orchard Lake, Michigan, which is actually not too far from where I am at here in Ann Arbor. Uh, there, St. Mary's um, Orchard Lake Seminary is a was founded as a seminary for the sons of Polish immigrants uh, who would study for the diocesan clergy and then be sent back to their dioceses. So is a bit of uh, you know familiarity, the Polish culture, history, etc. There. And while he was there, and this is the early mid twenties now. Um, he, it was a combination of high school, college, as they as they were back in those days, and then the major seminary component. But a Jesuit came and uh, offered a retreat one day, and he was really taken with it. And at that time, he decided to become a Jesuit. Uh, so uh, he also had a great devotion to St. Stanislaus Koska, a young mm-hmm. Jesuit. So uh, the Polish uh, relationship there, the, 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 the spirituality, etc., so he goes home and uh, got into a big fight with his dad about mm-hmm. about joining the Jesuits. And uh, both of them being stubborn, uh, Father Walter enters the society. And uh, the last words he told he, he said to his father in life, because um, his father died in the subsequent uh, uh, Jesuit training and, and, and seminary years, uh, were in anger, unfortunately, because he wanted to be a Jesuit. Father wanted to be a diocesan priest, and so the the stubbornness and the will was always there, um, and uh, which later in the story you see becomes refined. Yeah. Make a long story short, it was around the, the late twenties or time um, uh, where the Soviet Union had been under communist control. Well, had been the so- Russia had been the Soviet Union now for tw- for ten years, communist control. Uh, the popes, uh, Pius XI in particular, had called for a group of priests to kind of infiltrate, if you will, and support the Christians behind that Iron Curtain under that regime. Uh, religion is all but outlawed. They're, you know, Stalin and his repressions are, are pretty fierce at this time. Uh, a lot of state-controlled activity of the Orthodox Church, certainly, but there are a number of Catholics in the in that area as well. So. Uh, Walter Chizik, very much taken with this type of mission, wanted, you know, and had this urge and yearning and constant prayer to enter Russia. And so the Jesuits said, okay, yep, we'll send you to Rome. We'll train you in the Russian language, liturgy, et cetera, and we'll see what we can do. Um, in 19. Yeah. Stop 19, me right there just to say, yeah, it's, please, yeah. The, the story, it's amazing because. It, for many parents, we, we often think that the headstrong child is the, is the trouble child. You know, yeah, yeah. like when we joke about our kids, we're like, oh, this is, this is the easy <laughs> child, but this is the one that's going to get me to heaven. You know, like we, yes, we make exactly, comments like that. Exactly. And, yeah. and we just have to pause for a second and remember that everything's a gift. All the personality yeah. traits are gifts. And so even yep. the headstrongness and stubbornness like this, 
God can use and does use in, in wonderful ways. And so we see this right. with Father Walter, that even though he has this confrontation with his, fat, his dad, and unfortunately those become the final words, um, but that type of drivenness is ultimately what leads him to, to make a radical decision to want to be trained in the Russian and to, to hear that call from, from the Pope and to say, this is really where I want to exercise my priestly ministry. So it's fascinating. That's absolutely right. That's yeah. absolutely right. And I always, I've given a couple of talks on, on Father Walter and, and uh, I said, look, there's hope for all of us. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just in terms of, I mean, Father Walter is very self-critical in describing himself in this regard, but it's true. God utilized this, prepared him for this mission. Yeah. And I don't know if he could have really pulled it off if he wasn't this way. That's quite right. Frankly. Yeah. You know, he, he had to be a tough guy. He had to be to endure what he endured. He had to be, this was, you know, he thinks he's doing it because of this, you know, I want to be the best, but I think God's providence. And I think father would admit this. He had his hand on him from the time his little kid knew exactly what he was going to do and what he needed in order to survive the challenges that came his way. And yeah. so, um, all the athleticism, the, the, the fight picking, the, the ability to, you know, and then the training in the seminary, especially with the Jesuits to control himself. You know, I think that all came to, came to, it was a, it was a seminary unto itself, mm. uh, in a natural way, uh, preparation for, for Russia. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, he, he's assigned essentially in 19, uh, the late thirties, ordained in 37 in Rome and then assigned to, he, it was too dangerous to go into Russia. So he's assigned to this part of Poland, which is now part of Belarus, um, called Alberton. And there was a, uh, two churches and they're run by the society of Jesus, uh, for the local people, peasant area. Um, one was a Byzantine Catholic church where he was trained. That was what he was trained for Eastern, uh, right Catholics in that area. But there's also the Roman church. In 1939, um, World War II begins. Uh, Germany invades Poland. And then on the other side, not too long after that, Russia invades Poland. Russians take over that area. Uh, he really struggles, and I'm sure you'll bring this up, and in, in he leadeth me about what do I do? You know, this is, he, these are my people, yet my desire to go into Russia is, is there, and this is my opportunity perhaps, you know, given the tumult. Uh, ultimately he does go into Russia and with the, uh, permission of the Archbishop of Lvov in, in the Ukraine. And, uh, within a year, a little over a year, maybe, um, he is captured by the, what was the predecessor of the KGB, five years of solitary confinement in the Lubyanka prison, which was, you know, a, no one looks upon that place as anything pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, um, and, and, you know, forced confession, essentially, um, 20, another 23 years in Russia, 15 in the gulag in the labor camps, and then a number of years with restricted freedom, uh, before 1963, there's an exchange with the Kennedy administration for a couple, uh, Russian spies that were in the United States, uh, and that secured his release back back to the United States. God have mercy. Uh, from, yeah, from that time, uh, and that's a, that's a fascinating time unto itself. Is this really him? I mean, even his family members, is this really him? The Soviets send someone that looks like him, you know? Um, people didn't believe it was really him. Is he brainwashed? Is he, the, you know, is he a Soviet agent now? All this sort of thing. Um, and you have to recall too, and I don't know if your listeners know this, but in 1947, so this is while he's, while he's in the gulags, right, in the Soviet Union, he was 
pretty much given up for dead and masses for the repose of his soul had already started to be said. So imagine when in 1955, he writes a letter home and his sister gets it, you know, for six years, eight years, they had already been praying for the repose of his soul. So can you imagine the shock? No. So anyway, he gets back in, in, in for the last 20 years of his life, because he died in 1984, he was a spiritual director, a retreat master, um, wrote the books, um, and, and gave counseling, uh, on spiritual matters and had a tremendous equilibrium. Uh, for someone who went through that, and that was one thing that was noted by a number of people. Um, and, uh, uh, just a saintly and holy man And the conviction, uh, I and my co-editor, father Mark Lindire share is that his true sanctity came through in America. Mm-hmm. What he did in, in, in Russia was very heroic. Uh, but that in and of itself, I think was a preparation, not only for himself, but also for what he did in the United States. And, therein lied the heroic virtue to a large degree. So. Amen. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I first, I guess, heard of his story probably years and years ago. People talk about like, Oh, father Walter Chizik, he's this Jesuit priest who spent 23 years in the Russian gulags. And, and I have to be honest, I guess the the first few times people had kind of mentioned his story to me, this is years, years ago, this speaks more to my own immaturity than anything else. I kind of dismissed it. And the reason I kind of dismissed is because we kind of have this tendency <clears throat> excuse me, kind of within Catholic culture, uh, like whenever we have a suffering or something, we always pull to the extreme. So it's like, right. oh, you have eye trouble. Well, pray to St. Lucy because her eyes were gouged yeah. out, you know? So, <laughs> that's so that's right. the patron saint, you know, like, oh, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, your throat hurts. Oh, pray to St. Blaze. You know, he was beheaded. So that's right. you know, at least it's not as bad as that, you know, <laughs> or, or, or you have a little spiritual desolation. Hey, did you know that mother Teresa never felt God's presence for 50 years? You yeah, know, yeah, get, yeah. Like as if these things are supposed to make me feel better, you know, like, I'm sorry, I don't feel any better because mother <laughs> Teresa didn't feel God's presence for 50 years. Now I'm, I'm being joking because I, I understand the reason for that. But yeah. but the way we say it is kind of almost like this. Well, suck it up, buttercup. At least it's not as bad as... That's right. Offer it up. Right? <laughs> offer it yeah. up. Yeah, it's not as bad as so-and-so. And so I felt right. a little bit in that vein that I was kind of like, well, this is what Father... This is how people had communicated. It's like, well, you think you're bad, your life's bad? Well, at least you weren't in the Russian gulag for 23 right, years, right. you know? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And again, that speaks more to my own immaturity. So yeah. I go through my life, obviously, and suffering is inevitable. Um go through some difficult times. And I, as a counselor, I had long wanted to read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Sure. I I read it. Absolutely. And it was beautiful. And I I deeply appreciated his insights in that. But I was still looking for more. And that's ultimately what led me to He Leadeth Me. And and I was like, okay, people have been talking about this book. Well, let me, this is the time now for me to read it. And I loved it. And what I loved about it, and I think we've already kind of spoken about this, is that I have to confess certainly my own immaturity or projection onto his story was, was, was on me. But what mm-hmm. you, what you find very quickly when you read his story is that I don't think that he felt like he was doing anything special. Like he, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. that he looks at his story any different than a mother who has a, a child that's ill or mm-hmm. a, a husband who has a wife that has cancer or mm-hmm. uh, somebody who loses their job or anything else. It's just, this is, this is the cards that were dealt to me. This was yeah. what I had to deal with. This is just the way it played out in my life. Um, right. w- what are your thoughts about that? I mean, am I, am I reading I, that right? I think you hit it on nail on the head. I th- you know, his constant, if there is a theme to Father Walter, there, there are several, but one of them is the providence of God. And how do you, de- and, and what is God's will for me? Mm-hmm. And he defines it very, I think it's, it's uh, 
my conviction is an antidote to this age where, you know, especially young people too, you know, I'm, I'm faced, I, I live with them every day, as you know, um, <laughs> in the high school as well as at home. But, um, but, you know, what is God's will for me? There's a genuine yearning of every human person, every believer to figure that out. Right. Yeah. And sometimes we get caught into this whole, well, what am I supposed to be? And, you know, he's trying, God's will is out there somewhere that I have to figure out, you know, but Father Walter is very practical. He just says, look, God's will for you is the person's places, things that you encounter every day. Yeah. How do you react to them? How do you, how do you deal with the cards that were dealt to you? Um, and if you follow God's will, if you do what, uh, you follow the commandments, you do what, um, what you know is, is right. Um, then that is God's will for you and, and cooperate and, and be in the presence of that moment. Um, and not worry about the past and not worry too much about the future, worry about right now. So I think that's exactly how um, you're reading him correctly. He did not think he did anything extraordinary in Russia. And in fact, when he came back, he only used his experiences in Russia to illustrate a spiritual point he wanted to make. Maybe it was a time where he was desolate. Maybe it was a time he really struggled. Maybe it was a time where he felt great um, consolation. Uh, to use the spiritual words of of St. Ignatius in particular, you know, and so he would never trade on that, you know, and, and if asked, he would talk about it. Um, the, but the only other time he would talk about it was to illustrate a, a deeper point to help that individual he was talking to grow in a closer union with our Lord. Why, why so, did you say earlier that you felt that even though his time in Russia was significant, those last 20 years were really where the heroic virtue kind of manifested? What, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think, um, and when I when I say that, it's not to say that he wasn't heroic in Russia or yeah, that he of course, didn't that's display that. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you see in his life, if you study his life, if you read with God in Russia, if you read, he leadeth me, and then uh, our, the book we were privileged to edit. And if you, you know, and granted, I, I'm in a position of having read a little bit more, having helped with the cause a bit. Uh, there's a definite trajectory, uh, trajectory. He starts out with faith and faith is the thing that he's known for without a doubt. But at a certain point in his life, after a number of experiences, particularly in the 1970s, when he's uh, had a couple heart attacks and stuff like that, his writings, his focus, his counseling all start to focus to love. It's, it's, you see this perfection occurring in his whole life where, where everything was on faith and, and faith was the driver. He suddenly, uh, toward the end of his life, the last number of years of his life, was all consumed with God's love. And that changed his outlook, his, you know, it's a constant, I guess the best way to describe it is a constant conversion. There's no one point, hey, I'm converted, I'm good, and here we go, we're done, you know? It's a constant purification to the point where um, he is consumed with God's love and becomes, you know, Christ, you know, Christ so shines out that he so recedes that you don't see Walter Chiswick, you see Jesus Christ, you know. And so um, I think that is what the experience of Russia taught him. And as the, as you know, to give himself totally and completely to the other. And it's just, um, it's, it's almost mystical in one sense. I don't know if I'm ex expressing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, but I, if you, if, if you take the St. Ignatius, you know, St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises, the contemplation to attain divine love, it's almost as if his whole life trajectory even mirrors that, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, cause that's the ultimate, uh, in the union with our Lord. So.
that's what we all hope for, right? Is is yeah. is, is yeah. to get to that point where we can where we can say similarly that um, God loves me, and I reciprocate that love so much that you don't see Mario Sacasa yet you see Correct. Jesus, Correct. or that you right. don't see John DeJack that you see yep. Jesus. Right. But that even in that isn't an obliteration of the self. It's it's a rather a perfection of the self. That, yes, absolutely. That he becomes, Walter Chiswick became such a mirror or conduit, whatever the right word here is, of God's grace, that it was both the fullness of him and the fullness of Jesus kind of emerging in that, which is really just quite remarkable. And again, right. that it doesn't happen in... We say mystical, but not in the sense of like external locutions and those separate mm-hmm. things. I think sometimes we we misinterpret that word, but mystical right. in the real sense that like there's this profound mystery that is unfolding in this man's prayer life, but that that mystery really ha- has occurred through through the day to day circumstances. Right. Right. And so if we if we just kind of for a second go back to the notion of providence and faith, which is where the impetus that leads then to the fullness of love, I, you know, you you said it already, but just kind of wanted to kind of if I can just a little bit read from He Leadeth Me. Sure. Um, he, here in, in, on page 81, talking about his years in purgatory, oh, he calls the four years of purgatory there in the, in the prison. Um, he says, God's will was not hidden somewhere out there in the situations in which I found myself. The situations themselves were his will for me. What he wanted was for me to accept these situations as from his hands, to let go of the reins and place myself entirely at his disposal. He was asking of me a real act of total trust, allowing for no interference or restless striving on my part, no reservations, no expectations, no areas where I could set conditions or seem to hesitate. He was asking a complete gift of self, nothing held back. It demanded absolute faith, faith in God's existence, in his providence, in his concern for the minutest detail, in his power to sustain me, and in his loving to protect me. It meant losing the last hidden doubt, the ultimate fear that God would not be there to bear you up. I mean, God have mercy, man. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I had mm-hmm. that type of faith, but that really yeah. requires yeah. A, a, a sense of, um, of trust and understanding of providence and how providence works out. Yeah. So w- yeah. just tell me more about that lesson and how Father Walter, Father Walter really understands providence and, and faith um, in yeah. the day-to-day circumstances of our life. Yeah. You know, we, 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 I suppose to use a, a theological term, we were taught as Catholics, and this has always been the conviction of the church, you know, how does the church look at the world? How does Christ look at the world, right? We have a, we're supposed to have a sacramental vision, right? Um, in that, um, in that sacramental vision, I think the, the, the notion that everything is from God's hand the minutest detail, the, the, um, the most, um, uh, you know, everything, the air we breathe, the stars in the sky, the fact that we see them at a particular time, our parents, our friends, our children, even, uh, a gulag, even the office, even the conversation we're having right now, this is all coming from God. It's all a gift. Mm. And to see that in that fashion and that God wills that for us, right now at this moment. I think that's what he means by God's providence. So how do I react to that? How do, do I see it as a gift? Do I see it as a, as an opportunity to see God's love for me? Uh, even in the deprivations, not everything is deprived. I'm breathing. I'm alive. I, I have, I have, you know, he's here with me. 
and 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 it's it's hard for me to maybe realize this, but you know, hey, I'm still existing. He is more intimate to me right now than I am to myself. Um, thank you, Lord. You know, and that that that's kind of that's that's kind of what he was brought to. You know, he was in that purify that purification that brought him um, to nothing but God, but to also realize that while wow, even even these everything here that exists exists that's around me is from him and for me, quite frankly, and help me to get to him. He had a, he had a great line at the end of his life. One of his um, spiritual directees said, Hey father, if you had a, uh, if you want to add anything on your tombstone to be written, what would it be? And he said, I'm so happy that God is. And I think he really, I mean, it's kind of really, a, you know, his Thomistic training obviously helped out, but uh, but but I think that's he came to a realization of this. It's not some theory or something that we learn in catechism and then we forget years later. This is a real reality that God is so intimate to us and has provided us everything in His providence that no moment of life can be wasted. No moment should be taken for granted, nor thing, nor person, nor nor experience. Um, even in the midst of sin, we can find God. And uh, the recognition of that, thank you, Lord, for giving me the clarity to know I just did something stupid, you know, or whatever the case may be, and then repair that relationship. So um, I think that's kind of what he's talking about. And it took Lou Bianca to do that. He was he his he he admits myself was so into this. I said, God, give me the courage to, you know, confound the enemy. Give me the tools. I'm going to do it. You know, he still had thought about himself quite a little bit instead of just letting go and seeing everything as a gift of God. Amazing. So I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, uh, he, he had trouble putting it into words, but what you just read, I think encapsulates the whole thing. And it's just something for profound meditation. Uh, for anybody, uh, wherever you are in the spiritual life. Yeah. Know, so. Amen. Amen. I mean, cause I think when I hear stuff like this, we have a tendency, at least I'm, again, me, this is my own experience. I can speak. No, of. sure. Yeah. We go too much to one extreme, which is then to say that life is just this passive ride mm-hmm. and God's will is going to happen and whatever happens, happens. Um, and I think sometimes we, we don't believe in predestination. Of course, as Catholics, we don't believe that. But man, mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like we pray like we do, you know, where, yeah. where it's like, what's going to happen is going to happen. And, and I'm just, you know, going to let it happen. And it, I don't know, this image came to me and this is kind of silly, but um, my boys like to play a lot of these kind of temple run, these runner games on, yeah, the, yeah, on, the, yeah. I, on the iPhone or whatever. Sure, but sure. The one that they've been playing is this ski one. I don't know if you've seen this. It's just, it, anyways, yeah, it's just yeah. this, you're going down an endless <laughs> hill, you know, that's all it right, is. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. like. The reason I'm thinking about this in the context of a conversation is because I almost feel like sometimes this is how we think like life is. It's like, well, the algorithm knows what's going to come next, what next obstacle is going to be, the algorithm being God. And all I need to do is just jump over the the right obstacles until I die. That's right. That's right. No, that's right. But that's not it. Like that's that that misses it. But sometimes we we have this sense of passivity um, towards it. And I think that's what I've appreciated about the lessons that Father Walter is speaking about is that, okay, listen, we all recognize in the human condition, we are limited by time and space and circumstances. That's what it is. We're not omniscient. Right. We're not omnipresent. We, we, we're living right now in 2019, having this conversation and the limitations of my body are, are, are part of the reality. Right. And so I can't be aware of everything that's happening all the time. And so my awareness or what comes to me 
it, this bubble, this sphere of, of awareness or whatever I'm consciously kind of, you know, uh, per, per, um, allowed to see or experience, those are the things that are within my domain that I have to respond to. Right. And, and my response to that is part of God's will for my life also. Like right. how, exactly. how yes. I respond then to the joys and the challenges, how I, how I take these things and, and make something beautiful kind of out of them, that right. will, that element of it is not to be dismissed or ignored in, in the least bit. Like rather that's, that's a big part of the equation that, that leads us towards our own sanctification. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, it's, it's amazing. I, you know, um, God hits, tries to hit us over the head with everything. You know what I mean? Just to say, Hey, look, I'm here guy. You know, I mean, that sort of thing. And I mean, I mean, all you have to do is open your eyes to the trees, you know, yeah. as they're, in the, they're, they're changing color right now. <laughs> Man, that's beautiful. You know, or, or, um, enjoying your friends or, you know, having a few beers and having time just melt away because you had a great conversation. And you're just like, man, this is really, you know, time stood still almost, you know, it's all glimpses that he gives us. It doesn't have to be something dramatic. Um, we just need to learn to open our eyes. And I think that's what father Walter kind of brings to the table. Um, in many ways, it's, it's this, Hey, open your eyes. This is, this is great stuff, you know, and, and we should be joyful about it. And yeah, there's suffering without a doubt, but he's intimate to you in that suffering. And, you know, our Lord suffered. Who do you think you are that you're not going to, I mean, it's kind of a practical dirt under your fingernails (laughs) uh, type of approach to it as well. I think that he provides, you know, but, um, but in that suffering, um, is a purification is, is, he, he permits that he doesn't will it in the sense of, Hey, I'm going to inflict something you know bad on you. It's a fallen world. And he permits that in order that we may be purified. And I think father Walter says that very clearly that it was a, it was a hot fire. You know, he says, and he leaveth me almost yeah. hot as the fires of hell itself, you know, but, um, but it, it took that to, to bring him to that conversion moment, uh, with God at that time. And then the rest of his life that you see these other moments of conversion. I think that's just a model for all of us. It's very real. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sakas, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with John Dijak about Father Walter Jizik. To invite you to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I really would like to hear from you listeners if you know Father Walter's work and if you have any great stories about how you encountered his message or what it has meant to you over the course of your own journey in faith. So please hit me up on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, and let me know what you think about Father Walter and what he has meant to you in your life. Thanks, guys. It sounds like in reading in the book that one of those key moments was the interrogation and mm-hmm. him signing the the, the documents um, right. there in, in Lubyanka. Could you explain just to the listeners who don't know the story, what, what was happening that first year and a half that he's imprisoned, sure. yeah. the interrogations, and why does that kind of break him and ultimately open him up to grace? Yeah. In, in one sense, um, you know, first you have to, you have to, um, uh, I think to fully understand that and how he even survived that you go back to his Jesuit training, you know, this was back in the old days when things were very regimented. And I know nowadays it, 
it's you know, regimentation is poo-pooed or, you know, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just saying rote prayers. Am I putting any meaning into it? No, that, that that's also helpful. It helps to order your day. It helps to order your life, etc. And I think uh, to understand that the fact that he even kept his head in solitary confinement, light on 24 hours a day, not allowed to sit or lay down except when told to, and therefore having to pace back and forth in this very small converted room and converted into a jail cell with an eye on, you know, people looking through the peephole all the time at you, not having fresh air and not having anything like that. Uh, how do you keep your head in that situation? He kept his head by replicating his day as he did in the novitiate, got up, said his prayers, said with the equivalent of the breviary, which would be three rosaries. He offered mass, but he obviously didn't have the, 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 uh, tools for it, you know, the chalice and, and the bread and wine and whatnot. But he, he offered mass by, you know, to keep himself sane, he recited poetry and he, and so that's what kind of kept him, um, attuned to our Lord and his day, you know, on a natural level, kept his day ordered and his head sane. And then it allowed him also to have that because grace builds on nature. I think you know, it allowed him to have that, uh, relationship with God, the ability to pray. Um, so even in the midst of that, so he, he's, he's keeping his head. So that's just the, the basics. He's brought out into the, into the interrogation room all hours of the night, replicating the same questions just over and over and over again. And through it all, he, he always was, he was kind of almost childlike in that, listen, just give me 15 minutes with Stalin. I can have him converted. Communism is bad. This is not, you know, Hey, no problem. It's, it's, it's just, it's self contradictory. Uh, I got it. He had that almost. And he's arrogance. being interrogated. Sorry. He's being interrogated yeah, because yeah. he's being accused of being a Vatican spy, right? Correct. He, correct. After Poland yeah. falls to communist Russia, he does go into, does go into Russia yeah, under yeah. the pretense of kind of working as like a, 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 as a mill worker or something, right? That's right. That's right. But he's still yeah. saying mass clandestinely. Yep. And then yep. he gets Air picked up. And, yeah. And yeah. so he's, they think that he's a Vatican spy, hence correct. the interrogations. Just want to that's say right. that to listeners. No, yeah, that's right. I apologize. No, no, no. no sorry. Keep contextualize going. that. But, um, but yeah, he, but even in all of this, he, he's kind of kept his head. And again, because of his training and because of his prayer and, and whatnot, but he was also you know, kind of arrogant about it too. And, and that's where I mentioned earlier about, you know, Lord, give me the words to confound the enemy. Give me, you know, and, and that wasn't the Lord's plan, you know, and, and during this whole time, he really thought he was going to uh, withstand this and be the hero. But at, at a certain point, there's several interrogations, but at a certain point, you know, just to put it not too fine point on it, the, the interrogator basically said, look, you better sign this or you're going to die. Sign this confession or you're going to die. And he found himself signing it. And he completely failed. He, he felt guilty. He did not, you know, he did not, uh, achieve the standard that he wished he would achieve or that he expected himself to achieve and whatever else. And he felt like he betrayed God and he had this moment of darkness, you know, and, and he just fell upon the Lord's mercy at that point, whatever else. But in that moment, there was also this conviction and this understanding, holy macro, wait a second. I, it was all about me. It was not I didn't, I never really surrendered to God. I, I thought I could do this on my own accord and my, with my own ability. And I need to give myself completely to him. And from that moment, there was that moment of almost 
despair, but he never did despair. He, he got to the edge of it as close as you can go. There's even a, fl- a flirting thought of suicide, mm. um, but it, it lasted but a moment. Um, and then he realized the lesson he had learned there, that he had to surrender all to God. And after that, there's a certain tranquility. And when they asked him to sign something again, he said, no, I'm not going to sign that. You know, there was no fear of death after that, even in that, in that context and in that circumstance. Um, and there's certainly natural fear of death. He, he experiences that a little later on in the gulag. But, um, but, um, but he had a certain tranquility of, you know, I have to surrender to God. He'll take care of me. I, I, I know, I, now I know because I tried to do it on my own, but I couldn't. And, and that was a, that was the pivotal moment in, in that chapter that you read, I believe, mm-hmm. um, is where he, he mentions that, um, yeah. and, and how, how that was the, that was the time where, um, God had sustained him. Um, and he realized that, and he just needed to completely get himself out of the way and let our Lord take over. So back to, he leadeth me. This is at the end yeah, of the chapter please. with the interrogations. Yeah. This is how he ends the chapter. He says, The greatest grace God can give such a man is to send him a trial he cannot bear with his own powers and then sustain him with his grace so he may endure to the end and be saved. That's right. When everybody says that God doesn't give you more you can't handle, that's malarkey. God God does give us more than we can't handle. He oftentimes does. On purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Because it reminds us that this whole journey isn't about us. That's right. And it's in those moments of, and, and not to be glib with this word, because I think we can be in, in kind of modern context, is the, the sense of brokenness. When, yeah. when we have these moments of intense vulnerability, um, th- those are precisely the moments when we're, when we're compelled to cry out to God right, and, right. and to, to be reminded, uh, and not just reminded, but to be um, led. I mean, that's the whole purpose of He Leadeth Me, as even the title, yeah. to be led further into the mystery of God's providence and, and love for us. Yeah. It's it's hard for me sometimes to talk about this particular um, moment in Father Walter's life. He articulates it in his books, and um, he was famously inarticulate, actually, um, except one on one. Like if in terms of writing, uh, that's why he needed Father Flaherty to help him. Quite frankly, um, but I, you know, I try to I, I admit my own, just as you admitted some of your, you know, how you sized things up in the story. Um, I first read this as a senior in high school and I went into it because of the heroics. Yeah. It was a priest sticking it to the commies. This is great. You know, it's just like the 19 year old, you know, you know, heroism type of thing, mm-hmm. but it's the one spiritual book that has always stuck with me. And I always return to it. And this particular, you know, this point of conversion for him, you know, I don't know what that feels like. I have no idea about being in a gulag, being overwhelmed like this, deprived of everything and, and tortured essentially physically as well as mentally, emotionally, et cetera. So when he, when he talks about, you know, just giving it all up, you know, I probably would have given up, you know, day two. Okay. Just give me a loaf of bread, man. I'll tell you what you want. You know, I just, you know, my own weakness. Um, but I, I do have a sense of it. If I can share something personal a little bit, um, I, uh, you know, our firstborn, we had, I had already cultivated devotion to Father Walter before this, but our firstborn son, who's now 20, um, Thomas, was born premature and uh, had, you, know, you name it, he has all these problems. He's totally and permanently disabled physically and mentally and whatever else. And, um, and at the time, you know, we, we, you know, we knew this when he was born and uh, had, you know, had to 
we decided right away to choose an intercessor and father Walter was our guy. And he was, you know, five, Tommy was five and a half months in the neonatal intensive care unit, mm. um, before he came home and all that sort of thing. And on the verge of life and death and whatever else. And I remember myself, I just, I was kind of mad or, but also asking our Lord, I'm like, you know, why would I get mad at you? God, you're the only one who can fix him. So let's, you know, it's just very kind of logical for me. But I always prayed for Father Walter's intercession for his healing mentally and physically. And then I talked to Father Dan Flaherty. This is Tommy was about three years old, and he had all these problems and this and that, whatever else. And I told him about this. They were praying through Father's intercession. And he, gruff old Jesuit that he was, he's ah, Walter's not going to heal him. I was ticked. I was just mad. What are we talking about? You know, this is what saints do. This is what you know. But he followed it up very quickly with. He'll perform a miracle for you, but the miracle he will perform is he will teach your family how to love. Mm. And that will always, you know, through this, through your son, he will teach the you, your wife, the rest of your kids, how to love. And that is the miracle that Father Walter will perform for you. Mm. And that is that the Vatican's not going to, you know, that's not something that gets someone to be a saint, you know, in terms of a healing or something like that. He said, but that is the miracle. And trust me on this. And it's absolutely true. And in the final analysis, you know, any of these um, uh, sufferings we endure or, or um, trials that we have, I think that's the bottom line. Did this trial that I went through, did that help me to love better? Um, it certainly did with Father Walter and Lubyanka um, and, and his subsequent life. So um, therein lies the message of God, God's mysterious providence about allowing these sorts of things. And Father Flaherty, just for context to, to listeners, he's the, the co-author of uh, With God in Russia and He Leadeth Me, precisely right. because of, you articulate yep. so beautifully in With God in America that Father Walter wasn't really capable of writing clearly himself, and so he needed the co-author uh, yeah, to, to yeah. help him out. Um, but the story that you're speaking about is is beautiful, and, and unfortunately, I, I hate to say it, I, I lost you a little bit in that, so just to- Oh, to, I'm yeah, sorry. No, yeah. it's, it's okay. It's just, it's yeah. the internet. We, we're grateful, but- but just again, to, to, to recap that, um, because you had shared it with me before, just an amazing uh, providence and trust that you and your wife have, and certainly just how God uses the circumstances that you wanted the healing, certainly, and that's, that there's nothing, nothing wrong, not even nothing wrong, that, that's the right, right prayer. I mean, like, right. there's something right. wrong, Lord, yeah. I, I, want, I want my son to be better. I mean, that's the desire yeah. of any father or any mother yeah. for their child. And, and so to pray for that is 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 beautiful and holy and it comes out of a good place. Um, and so then to bring that to Father Flaherty asking for uh, Father Walter's intercession to be the miraculous healing. But then for Father Flaherty to, to, to put that in, in, in the right context and say that that's, that's not what Father Walter is going to give you. That's not the miracle. Mm -hmm. The miracle mm -hmm. is the capacity to love um, mm -hmm. and to accept the circumstances as they are. And mm -hmm. it sounds like from your perspective that that has been the miracle that's been given. It's a work in progress, as you know, yeah, you know sure. it's a lifelong project, but, sure. but I think, yeah, I think, you know, if you, Flaherty was probably saying, and probably Father Walter was saying, look, he's not sick. You are, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and <laughs> our Lord is provide again, his will, his providence for you is what you find yourself in at every moment of every moment of, of every day of your life. And this is his means by which to draw you to himself. Amen. And so, um, I, it coheres, you know, I, I think it just, it, it does. And, um, 
So well, I appreciate uh, your honesty and sharing that with yeah. us. And yeah. and again, it doesn't mean that you don't then continue to find a cure or continue to work sure. towards oh, comfort absolutely. or yeah, all the other yeah. things that you do. Um, but in the but there is a sense of docility, or at least we all tend yeah. to, you know, to trust yeah. it, that God leads right. us in all things. Yeah. So yeah. back to Father Walter here. Yes. He, yes. After Libyanka, he spends another 20 years in Russia in the, the, the gulags. Um, and then in kind of some, um, he gets moved around a little bit after he gets released with some sort of restraints, uh, eventually yep. comes back to America. And all of this is detailed in the book. So I, I don't, I don't want to kind of spoil too much for, for the listeners, but when he comes back to America, uh, what, what was his adjustment like? I mean, it's 1963. Yeah. The second yeah. Vatican council is just underway. The sixties of countries in turmoil. I mean, what a, yeah. what a tumultuous time in our nation. Um, he's been away for 23 years and just things are vastly different. How, how was just that adjustment for him? And then even just the, 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 the austerity of life that he had before to come back into the affluence yeah. of, of America. How, how did he yeah. reconcile all of that? And how was that adjustment for him? Yeah, it's um, like I said earlier, he, he had an amazingly equilibrium based upon what he had went through based on uh, uh, comparison to other folks in the same way. His reaction, he actually outlined very um, clearly in an article um, about a month after he came back. And he, he said what struck him was the abundance, the abundance in America, the abundance on the shelves and the stores, the um, – even the waste. And he wasn't criticized. He's like, it's just different. And he, he really did want to not judge, you know, um, in the sense of I've been out of this for a while and this is a different scenario, you know, whatever else. So I think it was, um, if you ever go to Vegas and you're just hit by all these billboards and all these, you're walking off the plane and there, cause there's, there's, you know, slot machines right there. It's ridiculous, right? And you're just kind of like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed by the lights, by the sounds, by the, I think that was, he experienced a certain amount of that. He's thrust from basically nothing into this lap of luxury. So it was definitely an adjustment. And he, he even just taking a ride to the store was something he wanted to do just to familiarize himself with things. Um, during the time, you know, it's also a goofy time in terms of the council, its immediate aftermath, the cultural revolutions that are taking place. He, this, this whole experience in the Soviet Union, he kept his head. It's like, look, God is in charge, you know. Uh, here the problems are different than the problems in the Soviet Union, but we need to still have faith in God. And he, he's watching out for us. We need to be docile to him and to appeal to him and and uh, surrender ourselves to him and he'll take care of all these things. And you see this in his letters and his correspondence and, and, um, and, uh, and also in his conviction of the truths of the faith, the truths of the faith haven't changed. He'd, he'd reassure people of this. Hey, I, whatever's being said out there. Okay. You know, but <laughs> God's revelation doesn't change, nor does he. So uh, he, he makes promises and he will, um, he will continue to honor those promises um, if we, if we appeal to him. So he, he was much sought after because it was such a crazy time. And even up until his death in the, in the early eighties, um, people had come to him and said, Hey, how did the church change? Or, or I'm, I'm having trouble with this. You know, people are saying that the blessed sacrament really isn't Jesus anymore. And he was a great kind of rock amidst the storm. I, I like that image of the waves are bouncing off of him. Um, and he, 
he had this special grace. He really did because of his relationship with, with Christ, um, and his union with him, I should better, um, to be that source of stability and comfort to anyone who approached him. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So because of that equilibrium, he was able to ride just a different storm, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, You know, he got used to life one way and then just allowed it to kind of carry him through that, that sense of tranquility allowed him to carry through even whatever the challenges. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's still, uh, he still has his own personality. He's a tough guy and he had his opinions, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, but he, he kind of achieves, he, he's a good priest, right? He, he didn't go to war with anyone. He, he said, look, I am here as representative of Christ on earth. I am another Christ. I have to, uh, be patient with people, understand where they're at and take them where they're at, you know, um, and, and bring them to Christ. And he really, you know, sublimated everything else to that, you know, so there's always questions, was he a liberal or a conservative with all that sort of thing in terms of theology and stuff like that? He never, you know, I, I guess he would probably be considered orthodox. <laughs> you know, he would always just be, this is what the teaching of the church is. Um, I might have a personal opinion, but I'm not going to share that with you because that might turn you off. I want to be available to you as Christ wants me to be. So I'm going to, you know, if asked, I'll give my opinion, but I'm, but I'm going to, take whoever comes to me and uh, provide them with the gospel and the sacraments and whatever they need in order to, to come closer to Christ. Well, so the, the book with God in America, what led you to, what led you to edit it? What made you yeah, say, so, this is, this is what I, yeah. Why? It's awesome. Thank you. It's a great gift. No, 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 just no, what motivated you to do it. I guess another, another bit of providence, I suppose. I had been doing some writing and, uh, father Flaherty was a friend, uh, from the Chicago days. And, uh, I said, ah, I was thinking about writing something on Father Walter. And he said, hey, you're the guy to do it. You know, he was, he was kind of this tough old Chicago priest. And at the time, Father Mark Lindire, Dutch Jesuit, was in Rome uh, where the cause was because they had transferred from the diocese to Rome. And he was the postulator. He said, let me put you in touch with the postulator. So um, so Father Mark and I began a correspondence and uh, – you know, I had told him of some of my interests, told him the background of our devotion and whatnot as well. And he said, listen, uh, let's work on a book together of Father's unpublished, um, some of his unpublished writings. And so uh, the he flew me out to Rome about a week and a half, two weeks in collaboration, sifting through the acts of the cause, a lot of his writings and whatever else. And actually, the, the book kind of took shape from there, we didn't come into it with that type of, you know, Hey, this is how we're going to do it. And this, you know, it kind of took place over a series of conversations, coffees, wine, um, and, and sifting through all of these, um, these things of fathers and, you know, what, what do we, what's a good survey of him? And we wanted to get people's recollections of him too. What can, how can we put this into context? And I think that with the result was, you know, I'm very proud of it. You know, the, the part I played in it, uh, but it's really father Walter's book as told by his friends and people who, who mostly, uh, were close to him. And, and you see that in his writings and something as simple as thanking someone for a, 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 a jar of jam, you know, and then offering mass for him. And he drops a nugget of just spiritual beauty in there, you know, in a, in a simple little letter. Um, but you, but you see a, a guy who wore himself out uh, to be a, as a priest, you know, and being a good priest. And, and so 
that's how it kind of came to be. And, uh, not without blood, sweat, tears, and a little bit of arm wrestling back and forth as to what to include. But, um, <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun, uh, to do. And I mean, it, I think for, I think I would speak for father Mark as well. Um, father Chiswick became father Walter to us in many ways. He became a friend, you know, um, throughout this whole process because we really got the spirit of him, I think, um, through these interviews with people and through his own writings. And we kind of captured who the guy was, um, and completed the story, quite frankly, what happened after he came back, that's where the other two books end up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, well, no, he's another 20 years of his life. And that's where he did a lot of his most profound work. So, yeah. And that, that's what I appreciated. I think I was finishing, he leadeth me and maybe it was a few months after, uh, the book we did with God in America was published. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting it. let's just keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll keep yeah. going with father Walter here. Yeah. Right. Um, on. yeah. And, uh, um, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity, I was, I was doing a marriage retreat for the Theology of the Body Institute, and we were close to Shenandoah um, yeah. at, the, at the Jesuit Retreat Center. And a friend of mine, shout out to Jen Settle here on, on the podcast. But, uh, but I told Jen, I said, listen, uh, Father Walter's become this, this just friend, spiritual friend and guide of mine, and I really want to go and, and pay my respects. And, and she said, okay, well, the retreat starts at, you know, in the evening. If you can get a flight from New Orleans up to Pennsylvania, Philadelphia early enough, we'll take a detour and let's go do it. And yeah, so I said, great, yeah. so let's go. So I took an earlier flight and my wife, who's so supportive of these crazy ideas of mine. Yeah. Um, so I left early and we flew and we drove out to the, to the retreat center and I was able to spend a few minutes paying my respects um, there at his graveside. And wonderful, um, wonderful. Brought the yeah. book, brought both books he led with me in with God in America and, um, and just was able to have just a moment, a few moments with him, which yeah. is really, really an awesome, awesome privilege. No, that's great privilege. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as we're kind of kind of bringing this to to a close here, um, we've already kind of been hitting a few things. Well, not too close. Final, a few final questions here. But is there anything sure, sure. else that when you were reading and doing the research for With God in America, as well as your own experiences, is there any other kind of insights or thoughts that you think that Father Walter would offer um, about this, the path to holiness and, and, and how that plays out for us um, in, in our modern context? Yeah. One of the great things he said was... Um, Humility is truth. It was kind of his definition for it. You know, humility is nothing other than knowing who you are, and what you are, especially in relation to God. Right. And I think that was one of the great lessons he taught, um, you know, by his example, more than admonition. Um, he's just a humble guy. You know, I'm a priest. I'm a, you know, I'm a Jesuit, but I'm not a, I'm not, you know, a great scholar. You know, that, that's not the path that God chose for me. I went into Russia and I, I did my best and I do my best in, with, with my vocation. And I think humility is one of the keys. The second thing, uh, and so, you know, just knowing, knowing who you are, I think in this age of social media and everything else, we're, wow, look at him, look at me. I'm, you know, it's you know, every picture you post on Facebook is not the one that shows you when you first get up in the morning, you know? So, um, so it, it's, I, I, there's a certain, narcissistic tendency and that, you know, you would be a better position than me to judge on those sorts of things. But, but I, I think, um, he's, he's a great model for humility. And I think that's the first posture all of us have to have, especially with God and with, with others, um, in, in, in just in living. Um, but the second thing is too, he, he often, he's very practical. Um, how do I pray? I mean, that's the constant, I mean, I know for myself, that's a constant struggle. How do I pray? You know, uh, that's what the apostles asked our Lord. Uh, Father Walter has a great answer to that. He says, pray the morning offering. 
in that morning offering is contained all the very thing, all the various things you need. Every offer up your prayers, works, joy, suffering, and all of that coheres with his understanding of divine providence and God's will as, as being every moment being sanctified, every every person, place, or thing. And so, action of your day, having that conception of your existence, is I think one of the great things in a very practical way through that prayer um, that Father Walter would offer. And I think the third thing is uh, just uh, docility to what our Lord wants to do with your life. You know, he, he, he definitely had a desire and he followed it. And you know what, that desire is also willed by God. If there's something that brings you peace and joy and you're, you're doing this podcast, you, you have the apostolate you have that gives you fulfillment and joy. And there's a drive to do that. Um, yeah, that's, that's of God, you know, he respects your freedom, but he also gives you the peace, you know? And so that docility, um, to figure it out and then the peace that flows from it, I think is, it was apparent in father's life. And, and when we experience that, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say, you shouldn't take this. Oh, I, I really like this. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. You know, there's always this tendency like, oh, I'm enjoying myself or I really, maybe, I, is that right? You know, no, it's good. That's all right. You know, especially if, um, if you, if you've really prayed and, and, and been docile. So, so yeah, th- those are, those are just practical things I think hit everyone, priests, religious, layman, family, you know, whomever. So, um, he's a wealth of, you know, we could speak for hours and, you know, every time you pick up the book, something new can appear to you. And I think that's the sign of great depth in the spiritual life and spiritual writing. Amen. Humility, practicalities in prayer and docility and joy and trusting then that, that, that joy, that peace does come from God. That isn't something to be resisted or, or are to feel that it's not of the Lord, that God speaks in all those practical circumstances. Now, Again, we, we have been speaking about just kind of his natural holiness that's there. But you do recount one experience towards the end of his life. I think it was three years before the, the, his death. But he does have this one profound locution experience. Yeah, yeah. Could you speak about that and, and what happened sure. then? And, and why was that significant for him near the end of his life? Sure. And um, the authenticity of it, too, I would say is... Is such that he never made a big deal about it. You know, I think he realized, wow, this is a really profound experience. And again, not being one who's ever had something like that. Me neither. Let me just haven't. say that. Me neither. Yeah, most <laughs> of us haven't, right? Um, I suppose it would make such an impression on the mind and on, on the soul that is doesn't put it into words. You know, St. John of the Cross always spoke in poetry about those sorts of things, right? Because that's the only thing that could come close to capturing it. But what happened was it was after his second heart attack, I believe, um, he was basically dead and, uh, he experienced this mystical experience with our blessed Lord. And he, he saw the Trinity, quote unquote, saw the Trinity. And he also saw our lady. And I, I believe he, in, in his recollections, he recounts seeing our lady first and he's seeing her kind of from the side, from where he was positioned in, again. Uh, and she was looking away from him, but she was looking at the Trinity and, and, you know, a very, you know, and, and he recounted, it was very simple in his recounting of it. And he, and he, and the message that came to him in that experience was, I'm not done with you yet. And so he revived on the gurney. I mean, he truly was, you know, there was one nurse who said, no, keep trying to revive him. But I guess he was dead clinically for a number of minutes or however long it was. 
and he came back and it was in that time that he had this mystical experience. Now he didn't recount this very often to many people, a couple letters, and that was it. Uh, but when questioned on it to one person who recounted it, he was a, a sharp guy who graduated uh, Thomas Aquinas College. So he's great Thomist and he fashioned himself a smart guy. He said, Father, you know, if, if God is pure spirit, how can you say you saw the Trinity and stuff like that? Father Father Walter completely disarmed him and completely answered the question. He said, look, you know, God puts in our minds, there are impressions of him, reflections, if you will, of him that are impressed upon our mind. And he will present himself to us in a way that we can understand. And that is how I understood what I saw. Wow. And completely disarmed this guy. You know, he's like, yeah, don't mess with a Jesuit, okay, <laughs> who's a tough, tough guy who went through what he did, you know. So, um, but he, he was, um, it was, it was, a, it was a very, not only intellectually satisfying answer, but it's just, yeah, no, God does come to us in a way that we understand. Yeah. How does Our Lady of Guadalupe appear? She appears as she would, as a Mexican would understand at that time, right? And and, you know, when God breaks into our world, he comes to us in a way that we would understand, you know, however, however that may be. And that can be highly personal to each person. Right. And the, but that's a, a proof of his love for us in every particular. Amen. Amen. In that, you know, we, we I think sometimes we do put a little too much onus or uh, on those externals. And that's mm-hmm. the gift of this is that anytime that God, as I understand it, um, offers us one of these kind of external signs or wonders, they're always at the service of what he's already been doing in our interior life. Correct. So here we have this long journey that Father Walter has been on that God has been purifying him and purifying him and and, and, and calling him and leading him and and, and, and giving him the equilibrium and the peace to deal with the circumstances and to have love and to really empty himself out to other people that only in that then does this other experience kind of fit within the context of what God was doing in his whole life. Correct. And then yeah. to say that you're not done with him and he gives him another three years basically is what it is. Is that correct? Yeah. Which even in that. Yeah, a little, a little more than that even, but yeah, yeah, that's right. But it wasn't like another 50 years or something, you no, know, correct. It, it, it's like, even in that we, we, we can look and be like, oh, well, what did you do in the last three years? I mean, yeah. like every moment, <laughs> Yeah. right? Every moment, it doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter yeah. how young we are. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much time we have. Like right. every moment is an opportunity for us to grow in our capacity to love God. That's exactly right. And all the people you affect, even this podcast, whatever, probably not talking to this idiot, but, but with other, <laughs> with other people you've talked to, you know, you never know who you're going to touch with that, yeah, right? Amen. Someone, you know, five years from now, you, you recording on a Friday morning in 2019, uh, talking about these things and, and trying to trying to just grow personally, but also your audience in terms of a love of God, you don't know who that's going to affect. You don't know what thing will strike a chord with someone who will then share it with someone else and maybe be the occasion of a, of a conversion of heart or a, a, a consolation or whatnot. But we do have this conviction that, you know what, God willed that that happened and that that person down the line heard it at that time. God willed that you and I picked up this guy named Walter Chiswick one day, you know, and, mm-hmm. and read this book and were profoundly influenced by that. He kind of knew that just like he knew that we would be wowed by the sunrise uh, or the, or the moonrise or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It's always a source of wonder. Right. And so he, I think God's up there probably taking just as much joy and delight 
in our discoveries and our joy and delight. And he's like, Hey, now let's do that again. So, you know, with whatever it is. So, so I think that's, um, that's exactly what was meant by that. You don't know who you're going, you know, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, you're right. Because maybe some of the words he said appeared and he leadeth or with God in America for your benefit and my benefit. Amen. Thank you for sharing all that. This is beautiful. And with this, I want to, this is my final quote here that I want to read from the book and sure, kind sure. of start bringing our, our conversation to a close here. And I don't know who wrote this. this is, I, I'm going to read here. This is from page 217. Father Walter Chizik dies, Russian missionary is the name of the chapter. And I don't know if this is okay. you or, or Father Mark who wrote this, okay. but uh, beautifully, a couple of paragraphs here. He said, you guys, one of you said, the God whom Father Walter served and preached is a demanding God. He is not to be served with superficiality or half measures. Our task is to search out his ways wherever they might lead and to walk them to the very end. He is a God who can be silent at times when we are desperately searching for a word of comfort. He demands more from us at that very moment when we feel we have already reached the end of our endurance. In He Leadeth Me, Father Walter distilled his understanding of this. Quote, there was but a single vision, God who was all in all. There was but one will that directed all things, God's will. I had only to see it, to discern it in every circumstance in which I found myself and let myself be ruled by it. God is in all things, sustains all things, directs all things, end quote. This God loves each and every person he has called into existence. The gifts of this world are so many expressions of his intense love for me, the unique person that I am, trials, sufferings. Even the frustrations of my own attempts to return his love are part of his love, are part of his loving design for me. If I will only keep that vision before my eyes, I can have confidence and trust no matter how low I may fall. Yeah, beautiful. I can tell you right now, neither Father Mark nor I are good enough to write that. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> That was actually the homily at Father Walter's funeral mass. Mm. Um, and it was offered by uh, Father John Long, who was at the, now deceased. He was the superior at the time of uh, uh, the John the 23rd Center at Fordham, where mm. Father was living. So, yeah, profound. Yeah, that, that whole chapter, that um, section was, uh, it was just a profound text and that we, we thought would uh, merited inclusion in there. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you read that. It, it is profound. So well, that, this is actually, so I said earlier when I was at Father Walter's, um, graveside, um, I, because I'm a good Catholic, I like sacramentals. So I, I snipped yeah, some yeah. of the grass from his gravesite. Absolutely. Yep, and, yep, uh, right on. Uh, you know, I'm a good Catholic and the, the grass is right here at, at that paragraph. That's, no, that's beautiful. That's, where that's it, beautiful. That's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, wonderful. Well, John, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Um, anything to plug? I mean, how could people get access to the books? Um, anything you know, else yep. that you know um, or that you want to promote? I, yeah, I don't know when this broadcast is going to, going to occur, but this weekend actually, so it's very providential in another way, is the annual Father Walter Day, uh, Chiswick Day Mass uh, that, that is offered each year for the cause for canonization in Shenandoah. So 2 p.m. mass on Sunday at St. Cashmere's Church in uh, Shenandoah, Pennsylvania, if anyone's around there. Always is a great crowd, and there's always some good Polish uh, vittles after the fact as well. So um, that's good stuff. Uh, but I, I would encourage all of your listeners to 
go to chizik.org, C-I-S-Z-E-K.org. Uh, that's the Prayer League website. Sign up. It's 10 bucks a year. You get the newsletter. You get to know what's happening with the cause. Offer your prayers. Bring you know, Write to them and say, hey, can you pray for me? And masses are offered for Father Walter's clients. Uh, the Facebook page for the Father Walter Chiswick Prayer League as well is pretty active. Um, and so you can always uh, keep up with, with things there. But uh, yeah, I would encourage that. And I would encourage your friends to uh, pick up the book. Uh, he, with God in Russia, He Leadeth Me. And with God in America, um, you can get them on Amazon, obviously, or uh, directly from Loyola Press for the last one, certainly. So, Fantastic. And we'll have links to those websites in the show notes uh, so that people great. can have great access to them. And uh, John, uh, final question to ask all my guests, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? You know, what gives me hope is, uh, uh, well, my kids give me hope, certainly. Uh, I, I see them do great things so far and they're young yet, you know, as yours are, but, um, but also, uh, what gives me hope is the conviction of people like yourself and father Walter, um, who inspire me to continue hoping in our blessed Lord, because he's the ultimate, he's the ultimate person to have hope in without a doubt. So mm-hmm. I think that would, I, that would, that would do the trick right there. Yeah. And- Fantastic. That's a good answer. So John Djack, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. God bless you, man. Have have a great rest of your day. Likewise. Take care. All right. Well, that does it for today's episode of Always Hope. Thanks everybody for listening. It is truly hard to find balance in suffering. It is truly hard to be docile when we are in pain. And I think that is the great message that Father Walter gives to us. That is the hope that he provides to us. So look him up, read his books, read With God in Russia or He Leadeth Me. And if you've already read them, this is a great time to reread them. Pray with him, ask him to pray for you, that you may have the docility that he received and to have that same gentleness that he has to be able to overcome the obstacles that are facing you in your life. So God bless everybody. Thanks so much for listening and subscribe to the show. Look forward to getting more episodes out for you. So take care and be good. God bless.